Good morning. It's Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. It is a little bit nippy outside this morning all over the state today. I uh, hope you've had a good evening and are ready to get this day underway. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It is pretty much at or below, around or below freezing everywhere in the state right now. 30 degrees in Rome, 32 Adairsville, 34 Athens. Uh, Clarksville is at 30. You got to go to Eastman to get 45. Uh, Vidalia Valdosta in the mid 40s. And Dalton is at 30 degrees. Jasper, 34. Here in Macon, it is 41 degrees. And welcome to WMAC in Macon, Georgia, uh, our newest affiliate. The impeachment has begun. Uh, they are debating it in the uh, House Judiciary Committee. It is a foregone conclusion. Articles of impeachment will be put forward by the Democrats, but there is a problem in the overall Democratic conference this morning, CNN had the scoop. Moment is bigger than the muddle here. We have uh, learned that as soon as next Tuesday, the full House will vote to impeach the president. They're fully expected to have the votes, though we're getting new reporting this morning that a handful, maybe a growing handful, of Democrats could be getting cold feet handful of Democrats could be getting cold feet. Why? Well, uh, there's been more and more impeachment coming out, and uh, the impeachment data from the polling uh, shows that it's not working for Democrats in swing districts. Uh, Quinnipiac, for example, has freaked out Democrats. Just just, uh, let me go off on a tangent here for a moment. Academic polling tends not to be very good. For example, here in Georgia, uh, a number of news outlets rely on uh, the University of Georgia's polling. And uh, no disrespect intended, but academic institutional polling tends not to be great. Uh, Emerson College is routinely ridiculed by the media because its methodology isn't great. Look at the AJC poll that had Brian Kemp at a 54% approval rating. That was the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The polling was conducted by the University of Georgia. What, what do we know about uh, the poll model? Well, the poll model that had Brian Kemp at 54% of the vote oversampled uh, people with graduate degrees and oversampled young people. In the actual election here in Georgia, uh, Donald Trump got uh, a higher percentage of the vote than Hillary Clinton in the AJC polling conducted by the University of Georgia. I think Donald Trump got, got the state, what, 50, 51% of the vote, uh, 48% of the vote, somewhere in there. In the UGA poll, he got 41% of the vote, uh, which is just a, a statistical flaw there. It, Hillary Clinton roughly matched her voter turnout uh, with the UGA poll, and, and Donald Trump was decidedly declined. And listen, yeah, I realize that you may have Trump voters who refuse to participate. Often, Republican voters are harder to get on the phone. But uh, the methodology was bad. I, that polling actually suggests Brian Kemp probably has a 60% approval rating in the state. But it's a university poll and university polling conducted by students who are trying to learn how to do surveys and polling and statistical sampling. It, it, listen, it, it's great for the education of students. It's bad for the education of the public. Quinnipiac, however, has a track record and Quinnipiac has a long history of doing very accurate polling. Uh, Monmouth University increasingly has a good polling track record. You can look at where these pollsters are 
and see their track record and determine whether or not they figured out a uh, competent methodology. And Quinnipiac uh, is the best university poll you will find in the country. Uh, it is not always right. No polling is ever always right because of the way polls are conducted. But you can certainly look at the trend lines and see where things are. And, and what is remarkable about the Quinnipiac polling is that a couple of months ago, a majority of voters wanted the president impeached. And now a majority of voters think uh, they should let the voters decide. And in fact, according to Quinnipiac, voters would turn Donald Trump out of the off, out of office, but they want the voters to be able to do this. Now, you should know in, in that polling that a majority of voters want to turn Donald Trump out of office. In the Quinnipiac polling in December of 2015, Hillary Clinton was beating Donald Trump. So there's that as well. Keep that in mind. Um, but we do have a good trend line considering polling biases. And uh, th this was a nationwide poll of registered voters, which skews towards the Democrats. That uh, majority of voters, 51%, do not believe the president should be removed from office by Congress. Uh, that's pretty telling for the Democrats of where they're headed. Uh, this They got problems here, and they know it. Uh, they, they genuinely know it. Here's Chuck Todd on MSNBC yesterday. President Trump at a rally in Pennsylvania last night trying to show strength there. My panel is back. I'm also joined by... Uh, one of our uh, NBC reporters, Heidi Presbella. So, Heidi, let me quickly start with you. You know, the president has decided to wrap his arms around the uh, impeachment as a campaign tactic. The campaign has used it, I think, quite effectively when it comes to raising money and things like that. Um, look, the polling, he's not adding any new people, but he certainly is increasing the intensity of his support. Um, it kind of means feels like that this they have fought this to a political draw. He has fought it to a political draw. When you got Quinnipiac coming online and other polling out there as well, showing that particularly in swing districts, in swing districts, in swing districts, Democrats aren't doing well with the polling right now. That impacts Georgia because Lucy McBath is in the 6th Congressional District here in Georgia. And the polling in the 6th Congressional District is not good. Uh, it looks like a majority of voters in the 6th Congressional District do not want impeachment. Same in the 7th. The 7th is a Republican district here in Georgia, the Gwinnett County area outside of suburban Atlanta, north northeast suburbs of Atlanta. The 7th Congressional District is uh, Rob Woodall's district. Was John Linder is Rob Woodall. Uh, demographically, it has shifted. And in that district, majority of residents don't want impeachment. That's going to hurt the Democrats. That, that district, Woodall, barely won it just by a few hundred votes. And it has shifted. Here's Matt Gatz yesterday as the Democrats began to formally debate impeachment in the House Judiciary Committee. This is the quickest, thinnest, weakest, most partisan impeachment in all of American presidential history. And for all the radical left's attacks on the president's honesty, it's their lies that continue to fuel this scorched earth strategy of impeachment. When a member of this committee said that President Trump was an agent of the Russian government engaged in a criminal conspiracy with the Russians, he lied. Needing a new way to undermine our president, the Democrats said he obstructed justice. But they couldn't make the case. They didn't have the facts. And there are no obstruction of justice articles in this impeachment. 
So needing another new distraction, Chairman Schiff announced a whistleblower. He said we'd hear from this person about bad presidential conduct. Some in the media reported on the whistleblower, raising serious concerns about political bias, improper motivation, and scandalous coordination with a political hit job aligned with none other than the operatives of Chairman Adam Schiff. With public opinion turning against impeachment, the Democrats scurried to assemble focus groups and commission polls. They learned that accusing the president of bribery would be good politics. While Democrat House members are willing to follow the pundits and consultants, the evidence and the witnesses were not. Even their seemingly most anti-Trump witness, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, said, I was never involved in anything that I would consider bribery or extortion. Lo and behold, there are now no bribery articles in this impeachment. Another lie. But the biggest lie of all was that House Democrats would not put our beautiful nation through a partisan impeachment. Speaker Pelosi said there must be uh, evidence that is compelling and bipartisan. Chairman Nadler said impeachment should not be partisan. And tonight, they stubbornly defy the standard that they set for themselves. He's got a point. I'm not a Matt Getz fan, but he's got a point. We've spent a lot of time with the Democrats arguing first quid pro quo, then bribery, uh, then suggesting extortion, and none of that stuff is in the articles of impeachment. None, none of that's in the articles of impeachment. Now, I, I, I got to truly believe and think that if the Democrats thought they had a case there, they would put it in articles of impeachment and none of that stuff is there. And that just suggests to me that they don't actually have any of that stuff. I mean, here, here is Nancy Pelosi from back in November. Does the president get, as he says, to confront his accuser or get due what process? confront his accuser? Confront, confront the whistleblower? Presumably. Well, I will means. make sure he does not intimidate the whistleblower. So uh, the president could come right before the committee and talk, speak all the truth that he wants if he you wants, don't to, expect him if to, he wants to take the oath of office, or he could do it in writing. He has every opportunity uh, to present his case. But it's really a sad thing. I mean, what the president did was so much worse than even what Richard Nixon did. There's no quid pro quo. There's no bribery. There's no extortion. There's no breaking into someone's political office. There's there's not even a successful completion of what the Democrats accuse him of. But it was worse than impeachment. And wait, 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 wait. There's also this from November 15th with Nancy Pelosi. You talked about bribery a second ago. Yes, a bribery. It's a very serious charge. It's in the Constitution. Well, you know, uh, we talking Latin around here. E pluribus unum from anyone, from anyone. Quid pro quo. Bribery. Bribery. And that is in the Constitution attached to the impeachment proceedings. So what was the bribe here? 
The bribe is to grant or withhold military assistance in return for a public statement of a, uh, of a fake investigation into uh, the, the elections. So could that's a, that's at, bribery. Yes. Could we be looking at an article of impeachment? Well, I don't know about that. We don't even, haven't even made a decision to impeach. That's what the inquiry is about. And when the, the committees decide that, and they will decide what the articles are. But I am saying... Uh, that what is uh, the president has admitted to and says it's perfect. I said it's perfectly wrong. It's bribery. <laughs> it's bribery. We don't know that they're going to be in the articles of impeachment. We don't even know we're going to impeach, but it's bribery and he's going to be impeached for bribery. And he then wasn't impeached for bribery. Uh, John Radcliffe of Texas. I'd like to say you can't make this stuff up, but it is all made up. I got to concede, though, to my colleagues, y'all move fast. The day after we watched the Russian conspiracy and obstruction of justice claims from the special counsel go down like the Hindenburg, the next frame job started with a phone call where the only two people on the call both said it was a great call and none of the things that the Democrats alleged happened. But I'll admit, this time, it's hard to blame some of my colleagues on this committee for doing too much this time around. I concede that because the once respected House Judiciary Committee with jurisdiction over the Constitution and impeachment was humiliatingly excluded until the bitter end from participating at all in matters involving the Constitution and impeachment. One week. History will reflect that the House Judiciary Committee's involvement in the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump started with a hearing on Wednesday, December 4th and ended with a markup that started seven days later on Wednesday, December 11th. How does that sound for fairness? How does that sound for due process? The founders warned and feared that today might come. Alexander Hamilton said the greatest danger of impeachment would be depriving a president of due process. The greatest danger, Hamilton said, would be if impeachment was used politically by a party that had the most votes in the House instead of being used on the basis of guilt or innocence for specified crimes under the Constitution. And today, the Committee of Jurisdiction, after only one week, is marking up a bill to impeach a president for crimes that aren't specified under the Constitution by the party that has the most votes in the House and pledged to impeach him from the first day of his presidency. Today's Democrats are the founders' worst nightmare come true. The worst nightmare come true. You know, the founders did worry about impeachment becoming a partisan tool of the majority. Well, in fairness, uh, we need to give the Democrats uh, their say. Here is uh, Representative Cicilline, Cicilline accusing the president of trying to cheat. I have to admit, I think the president's distractions are working because most folks are probably sitting at home thinking, what in the world has any of this got to do with me? How does stopping foreign aid to Ukraine actually affect my life? That's why with my time, I want to take a step back and remind everybody in this body and everyone watching at home what this is really about. President Donald J. Trump wielded the enormous powers of the presidency to cheat in the 2020 election. Specifically, he used our nation's leverage over an ally, undermining our national security to try to smear the opponent he feared most in the general election. That wasn't an attack on Vice President Biden. It was an attack on our democracy. And if we don't hold the president accountable for it, we will set a catastrophic precedent. 
Any time a future president is afraid of losing re-election, they'll feel entitled to do whatever it takes to win, even if they have to abuse their power to do it. If we set that precedent, if we decide the president is above the law, then we will no longer live in a democracy. We will live in a dictatorship, trading the values of Madison for the values of Moscow. Eh, listen, I don't think the president should have done what he did. I think it was dumb of him to do what he did, frankly. But I don't think it was cheating. And the Democrats, I I have a hard time now taking the Democrats seriously on their allegations of cheating because Adam Schiff has already embraced the talking point that the president cheated in 2016 by coordinating with the Russians, which has been thoroughly debunked. And if we've got Democrats whose presuppositions are based based on a lie, I, I don't know that we can take them seriously going down this road. I got concerns about the president's behavior. But, you know, just because something is bad doesn't mean it's impeachable. I, I think President Bush was bad for trying to put Harry Myers on the Supreme Court, but it wasn't impeachable. I don't think the president's phone call with Zelensky was either. I, I, I have a, a take on impeachment that just makes everybody mad uh, on the left and the right. And I think I'm right. You know, when I was a political consultant and, and ran campaigns, I would tell uh, cam- candidates to run running for office that they needed to be careful. Uh, they needed to know when they were in the minority, even when they thought they were right. Uh, even when they thought they should be in the majority, uh, they needed to understand when they were often not. And they need to be careful how they dealt with it. Ah. I'm used to making everybody mad, uh, so I'm just going to tell you. Uh, I think what the president did uh, on the phone call with President Zelensky was, was stupid. Uh, it, it was dumb. It was bad. Uh, he knew that there were people inside the White House who were out to get him, and including this whistleblower who was complaining about everything, and he should have never brought up Joe Biden and Hunter Biden on this phone call. Uh, the president listened to uh, Rudy Giuliani and believed this crowd strike nonsense, and it is nonsense, by the way. Uh, the idea that there was a physical computer hard drive in Ukraine with all of the DNC information and the uh, Ukrainians were were hacking it, feeding information, putting information on it in nonsense. Uh, th- that is completely contradictory to the way the internet and CrowdStrike work. Um, these servers are spread all over the world. Uh, some of them happen to be in Ukraine. Uh, it, it's just a, it's a nonsensical conspiracy by a bunch of blue-haired geriatric pundits on the late-night shows on Fox News that Rudy Giuliani believed and convinced the president to believe. And if anything, the president is getting impeached because he believed a bunch of geriatric idiots overnight on Fox News who don't even know how to turn on a computer, let alone program program a VCR or, or a DVD player or watch an Apple TV or get on Netflix. And yet somehow they knew how the server farm worked in Ukraine because they're experts. He's getting impeached for believing a bunch of idiots on late night Fox shows. That That's why the president's getting impeached. He should have never brought up Joe Biden. He should have never brought up Hunter Biden. The reality, however, is that the Ukraine government is terribly corrupt and it was entirely plausible that Ukrainians sucking up to Hillary Clinton and others uh, were problematic. There was a Politico story from December of 2016 how Ukraine tried to help Hillary Clinton. The president had a rational basis for believing there was corruption, and he had a rational basis at a time that others had convinced him that the FBI was out to get him. And by the way, we'll get to the IG report. It looks like there were FBI agents out to get him. He had a rational basis for wanting to look into this stuff to figure out how the Democrats were going to be out to get him including Joe Biden. 
He shouldn't have done it. It was it was a dumb thing for him to do, but he had a reasonable, rational basis for wanting to do it. And what happened? Uh, he gave Ukraine the money, and Ukraine never did the investigation. So I don't know why we're here. Uh, th- there's my hot take to make everyone mad on impeachment. Um, it was a stupid thing for him to do. He did it, though, because he had a reasonable basis. His reasonable basis, though, was formed by a bunch of idiots on Fox News who didn't know what they were talking about in the late night hours, a bunch of geriatrics who don't even know how to use the Internet. But he had a reasonable basis for doing so based on watching the news. Um, if anything, maybe so, some bad pundits at Fox should be impeached, but not the president. It's silly to do this. Just let the voters decide. The phone number here, yes, it is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, if you want to call in, uh, you you feel free to. If you want to weigh in on impeachment, uh, happy to take your phone calls. I, y'all, I, I'm a little bit distracted. I, I've got the story pulled up on my screen, and I was going to save it for later, but it just every time I turn my head and look at my screen, it just aggravates me. I am sorry. I am not going to call SunTrust Park Truest Park. I don't know what they're going to name it. Uh, And if anything, I I want to be vocal about it now. So maybe they can actually come to their senses and call it Hank Aaron Park. Uh, Even if they call it Hank Aaron Park and put under it uh, sponsored by Truist Bank or some such. Um, But name it after Hank Aaron. Name it after Bobby Cox. uh, Name it Chipper Jones Park. I, 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 I don't care. But Truist is a stupid corporate PR um, focus group name. It's just dumb. Some of you may be having no idea what I'm talking about. Truist is, so SunTrust, the bank, used to be trust company, then it bought somebody and became SunTrust. Uh, it, it is a nationally known brand. It is being bought by BB&T. And they don't want to keep the SunTrust name. Because it's BB&T buying SunTrust. They don't want to keep the BB&T name because BB&T isn't that great of a national brand. So they've decided to to use a, a corporate speak word designed by, I'm sure they paid some company millions of dollars for rebranding. And the rebranding name is Truist, not Truit, uh, the, the Truist. Um, it, it, not, not the truest, uh, thing, uh, truest T R U I S T. It's a truthy bank. You can believe us. Just don't read the fine print is, is what the word essentially says. So, I mean, truth in advertising, I guess, um, it, it's not quite true, but it's, it's kind of truthy. It the whole thing is just stupid. It, it, so major, there are a couple of, of, ad branding agencies out there that are living on 50-year-old impeccable reputations and have done just some of the stupidest ad branding work in the past couple of years. And this, Truist, is one of the names. Well, we got a problem because SunTrust bought naming rights to the, the park where the Braves play. And they refer to the Braves Stadium as SunTrust Park. Now, I call it, I try not to call it Turner Field. Um, but I still sometimes make the mistake of calling it Turner Field uh, or the Brave Stadium. I don't think I have ever called it SunTrust Park. It is the Brave Stadium. Well, Truist uh, gets to rename the park whatever they want, and I'm sure that they're tempted to go with Truist Park. It is the truest park in the nation. 
you know, the, the last time, what was it? Uh, it was it nationwide or nation side or or not nations bank or one of them changed their name to Mr. Cooper. I think it was nation nationwide. I, I, I can't remember, but they changed their name to Mr. Cooper. All right. Hang on a second. Now this is going to kill me. Um, Mr. Cooper. Uh, yeah, Nation Star. That was it. Nation Star. I started getting mail from Mr. Cooper wanting my money. I thought, who the hell is Mr. Cooper? And why does he want my money? And apparently, uh, they, Nation Star Mortgage decided to change their name to Mr. Cooper. I have no idea why they decided to change their name to Mr. Cooper. Um, they should have been fi- They should have fired their branding agency instead of doing something like that. Mr. Cooper, Mr. Cooper was a black teacher on ABC TV in the 1980s and 90s, I think, when I was growing up, and he was an awesome guy. I loved Mr. Cooper, but that Mr. Cooper does not want my money. I don't understand why, why financial institutions are doing this stupid stuff. But they apparently are, and they're going to, I guess, change SunTrust Park to something, and I'm sure... If the geniuses, if the best the geniuses could do to merge BB&T and SunTrust is to come up with Truist Park or or Truist Bank, uh, then I'm sure they're going to come up with Truist Park. And I will never call it that in the same way I've never called it SunTrust Park. It is Hank Aaron Park. Uh, That's what I will refer to it as. Hank Aaron Field or a Bobby Cox Field at Hank Aaron Park. How about that? Um, I'm I'm just not going to do it. No siree. I did not mean to spend this much time on it, but it just aggravates me that this this corporate ease and, and rebranding to try to be, I'm hip and cool with the millennials and, and the Zoomers out there and and we're gonna we're gonna make our brand so the generation Z connects with us. They're not connecting with you because they don't even have checking accounts yet. All right. We'll move on. We will. I need to talk about Chip Roy. Chip Roy has been on this program. Chip Roy is a Longtime dear friend of mine, uh, he is, is a congressman who represents the district between San Antonio, Texas and Austin, Texas, and he has managed to, uh, I, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a job opening here at the Eric Erickson Show. Yet again, I have had to fire my producer who just tweeted to me after my tirade, okay, boomer. The problem is that my producer, former producer, I'm sorry, my former producer feels the same way. He just doesn't have the platform to be able to say these sorts of things. Nine times out of 10, though I may go on a tirade about something, he does a similar thing, but his is much more profane. It is the reason you will never hear his voice down the microphone is because he couldn't get through something like that without uttering certain profane words that would offend the audience and get me fined by the FCC. But he knows, he knows in every fiber of his being that I'm right. Boomer. Now, we will go to Chip Roy. The charges against the president are shaky, according to Chip Roy. This is the subtitle. Um, So why not let the voters make the call? Chip Roy is notable in that he's participated in the hearings behind the scenes. He has been in the depositions. He has seen them. Uh, He has not come public. He has kept his mouth shut on impeachment the whole way through. Uh, He has been concerned about the allegations and what the president did. And he hadn't said anything. He hasn't been one of the people to rush to the microphone and get in the limelight. And now he's come forward. Let me read you some of what he wrote. The Democrats have filed articles of impeachment 
No one is surprised because impeachment has been the goal for the radical left and others who dislike the president since before his election. Impeachment of a president is a solemn undertaking. It will inevitably, as Alexander Hamilton noted in Federalist Number 65, veer toward political factions. Yet it is important that our founders intentionally did not embrace recalls or voters of votes of no confidence. Rather, our system demands from Congress evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors and contemplates a level of behavior commiserate with the chaos inflicted on the republic by potential removal of a president. By its very structure, it suggests a judicious exercise of that constitutional safeguard when the people have a clear opportunity to render their own judgment in less than a year. To determine the facts, I have largely sought to avoid the media circus while taking part in depositions, reading reports, and observing public hearings. As a former prosecutor and as a member of the House Oversight Committee, I believe it important to review the facts and then render judgment. The most important evidence presented is the July 25 call between Presidents Trump and Zelensky, which the White House voluntarily released. I am sympathetic to those who reasonably believe the call was not perfect, but I also do not see evidence sufficient to impeach a president of the United States. My specific thoughts are as follows. Regarding the call, it was foreseeable that mentioning a political poli- potential political opponent on a call with a foreign head of state would, at a minimum, give the appearance of mixing domestic politics with foreign policy. This is particularly likely when there are people within the bureaucracy who want to find malfeasance, whether it exists or not. I also do not believe so much effort should be spent advancing the argument that there was no quid pro quo. It's legally debatable, but it's difficult to argue there wasn't a this-for-that desired outcome based on the totality of the phone call and the testimony. But conversations of this kind occur often between heads of state, and provided that they are related to the interests of the United States, they are generally speaking legitimate. It is important to stipulate the relatively clear facts. A meeting and a portion of foreign aid were, in fact, withheld. In the case of aid, it was withheld for two months and apparently with the knowledge of at least some in the White House. The president clearly wanted President Zelensky to act both in the form of investigations and, it appears, by way of some public statements, ostensibly to demonstrate that Zelensky would be different from past Ukrainian leaders in combating the country's epidemic corruption. It also appears that President Trump wanted Ukraine's assistance in looking into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation, which the Justice Department had been conducting, and into activities involving Ukraine and the Bidens vis-a-vis Burisma. So were these high crimes and misdemeanors? First, the president deserves and is given under the Constitution a great deal of latitude to conduct foreign policy, which includes tough negotiations. In the case of Ukraine, it is clear that President Trump wants Europe to carry more of the burden of supporting their effort and that he views both a longstanding history of corruption and Ukraine's nexus to our 2016 elections as a problem. He's most certainly within his right to believe these things and act on them. Indeed, federal law requires he act to stop corruption if American foreign aid is being distributed. The history of corruption is readily agreed by all, but the central but central to the issue at hand is whether there's evidence that Ukraine worked with Democrats to influence our 2016 election. While my Democrat colleagues in the media counter that this allegation has been debunked, in doing so they make two errors. One, they suggest that because Russia is rightly regarded to have purposely targeted our elections, this means Ukraine did not. Of course, these are not mutually exclusive and both have peddled and meddled in various degrees. They also purposefully obfuscate the obvious evidence, as acknowledged under oath by one of the Democrats' most celebrated witnesses, Dr. Fiona Hill, that there were troubling efforts by Ukraines to influence the 2016 election. They do this by conflating it with the less likely technical interferences like CrowdStrike. 
To be certain, the president's continued personal promotion of that angle perpetuates that questionable narrative. But that's not the core issue. The truth is that we saw Ukrainian leaders publicly attack candidate Trump in the press. We saw some make open efforts to promote Hillary Clinton and actually work with the DNC to dig up dirt on Trump. Further, though later overruled, even a Ukrainian court once found that a Ukrainian parliamentarian and head of anti-corruption police interfered in the 2016 U.S. election. But what matters is that all these things raise legitimate questions of Ukrainian engagement in 2016 and thus provide the president reasonable questions to raise with a new reformed Ukrainian president. Second, investing in the Bidens was never about digging up dirt, as both Biden's public actions raised legitimate questions regarding self-dealings. The elder Biden threatened a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine as part of an effort to reject the prosecutor general who was looking into Burisma. Whether or not Biden's effort was independently defensible, his actions regarding Burisma are not immune from scrutiny just because he's a candidate for president. Even the Obama administration raised concerns about likely conflicts of interest involving the Bidens. It's also noteworthy that not one witness has yet provided direct evidence the president targeted Biden or his son specifically for 2020. Arguably, the call could have been word for word the same even if Biden was not running for president, and if the name Biden had not been mentioned, the president's comments would have been unremarkable. But for those remaining on the fence, I would not dismiss the larger context. Zelensky himself denies feeling pressured. The delay in funding was a fraction of the total that lasted for barely three months, and there's no evidence the delay was actively communicated to Ukraine, certainly not in a way to apply pressure. Furthermore, there was reason to ask Ukraine to investigate potential meddling in 2016. Therefore, I will continue to examine any evidence offered in an apparent final days of this partisan impeachment exercise, but House Democrats have utterly failed to provide compelling evidence of a high crime or misdemeanor. Once this process is completed in the House, we should immediately turn our attention to solving any one of the significant issues that Americans care most about. Reducing health care prices, securing the border, balancing the budget, passing free trade, or providing a clear mission for our military. These are the things I hear Texans talking about every day. Whether you agree with this analysis or not, one thing is clearly true. Americans will have the opportunity to make their choice in over ten, just over 10 months. We should let them. That is my friendship, Roy, a member of Congress, and he lays this out, I think, better than anyone in the media, and he's right. He provides copious links in the article. I will put this out on my Twitter feed, uh, twitter.com slash EW Erickson. I think this is the one thing today that everyone should be reading on the internet. He's right. The problem here is this. The Democrats have made this an entirely partisan affair, entirely partisan and if you don't believe me on that, I, I want to challenge you with a couple of facts that the media has simply ignored when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. And I have put up at theresurgent.com, theresurgent.com, the piece from Chip Roy, the link to it at National Review, where he posted it, uh, very well done, uh, very well articulated, and it really is the one thing you need to uh, read today. Chick-fil-A, back under attack. Y'all, listen, apparently Chick-fil-A... You know, so Covenant House is a a nonprofit that works on fighting homelessness around the country. 
and uh, it does so regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, um, uh, whether someone identifies as male. They just they want to help homelessness. They are a progressive organization. They are. Um, th- there have been accusations that they drove someone to an abortion clinic to get an abortion. Accusations. Uh, and uh, they, they had a scandal in the past. Um, lately, they haven't. But now the Federalist um, is attacking them for sponsoring a group that did a drag queen story hour. I Listen... Are, are you going to stop eating at Chick-fil-A? I'm not. They're a corporation. Uh, I'm, I'm bothered that Chick-fil-A has benefited in the past from um, solidarity with people of faith who defended the organization for maintaining uh, biblical orthodoxy and supporting Christian groups. I'm not going to stop eating at Chick-fil-A. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't do boycotts. Um, rarely, I shouldn't say I'm, I don't do it. Rarely do I just flat out say publicly, I'm not going to shop somewhere. There are places I don't particularly go, but don't really try to organize boycotts. I'm not going to boycott Chick-fil-A. They've got great food and they're good people. Uh, I, I am told that one of the reasons Chick-fil-A has done this is a, a, a prominent, a, a prominent person who has been known to disrupt, uh, Christian churches in Georgia, um, is partnered with someone who now is a Chick-fil-A franchise owner and, and has been making all sorts of noise internally. I, I am told that is the case. I don't know. Uh, I'm told fairly reliably that's the case, though. Uh, but Chick-fil-A can give its money to who it wants. I think they handled the Salvation Army thing badly, and they needed to be poked and prodded for that. But do you know how many organizations on a daily basis you 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 buy from that support reliably left-wing causes? You know, I've, I've got a, a vehicle from GM. GM used to advertise on conservative radio, uh, but stopped advertising on conservative radio as, as GM's advertising agencies and heads went reliably progressive. GM is certainly given to progressive causes uh, and doesn't particularly like conservative or Christian causes, but I'm not going to boycott GM. I, I like my Yukon. Uh, and I, I, I seen you have to actively choose to be perpetually outraged. And on the left these days, there are um, there are actually there actually literally is, and I mean literally as in literally, there is literally an app you can get for your phone that when you go to the grocery store, you can scan the the UPC label on the back of a product and determine whether the maker of that product should be boycotted or not based on what they give and support, based on who they give to and what they support. I don't have my I don't have enough time in the day. I, who does that? You can determine, no, you, you should not go eat at this place. You should go eat at this place because this place is Christian and the other place gives to Planned Parenthood. Go support the place that gives to Planned I don't have enough time in the day to worry about that. If I'm going out with my family, I just want to go to a restaurant, preferably local, not a chain, support the local community businesses. I, I, don't, have, I don't know who has the time in the day to worry about stuff like that. You know who does? Zealots of a religion. Secularism has become a religion. Uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up on Chick Fil A. I, I think the family that owns Chick Fil A is, is a good family with good people, and there's just there's just no point in being overly outraged at stuff like this. 
Um, Chick-fil-A is also a corporation and maybe one day they want to go public and, and I, that'll be the death of the company. I'm sure when they go public, but I just don't care. And I'm spending this much time on a story that I don't really care about at this point because you shouldn't care either. I care that so many of you are hacked off about this and yeah, I get it. Uh, the, the way they handled fellowship of Christian athletes and the Salvation Army. Yeah, I, I get that people feel a little betrayed, particularly those who, when Mike Huckabee said, let's all go support Chick-fil-A, you sat in line for an hour to go get your chicken sandwich, just to show the company that you had their back and they clearly don't have your back. I get that. I do. And I don't want to diminish that. But in the words of Elsa, let it go. It's been a while. Now, Mitch McConnell is changing his game plan on impeachment. He now wants to see if he can get an acquittal, not just dismiss impeachment. And he's beginning to advise the Republican majority in the Senate that they should not have a dragged out trial with witnesses. Why? You see, a lot of Republicans have thought, you know, we should drag this out and make it painful on the Democrats. Five of them, now that Harris has dropped out, five Senate Democrats are still running for president. Warren, Sanders, Klobuchar, Booker, and Bennett. Now, I realize none of you realize Michael Bennett, the senator from Colorado, is running for president, but he is. Five of them are running for president. And Republicans in the Senate have thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we dragged this trial out so that they had to miss Iowa, South Carolina, and Nevada. Mitch McConnell thought it was a great idea at first, and he's now kind of gone wobbly on this because of the issue of witnesses, and we should probably explore the issue on the witnesses and why McConnell's changing strategy when we come back and get into the Horowitz Report. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, Holiday season is approaching, and you can get the quip. The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It, it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush in the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the, the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30 second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, you got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and now flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip.com. Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. Getquip.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here the Eric Erickson Show. From the North Georgia Mountains to the Florida Line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic Ocean, all across the state of Georgia, now WMAC in Middle Georgia, uh, covering all of Middle Georgia. Welcome aboard. We have to get into impeachment uh, and Mitch McConnell's change strategy and the Inspector General report, which is uh, pretty damning uh, to the FBI, uh, and to James Comey, who's trying to say uh, everything's hunky-dory. 
before I get to before I get to the IG report, I, I want to finish up some stuff I was talking about in the first hour on impeachment. Mitch McConnell has decided he wants to change the Republican strategy. The Republican strategy, uh, and, and perhaps, <clears throat> and there are some some suggestions that uh, the initial talking points from the GOP that they were going to drag this out for eight weeks and screw up the Democratic uh, presidential primary process that that was bluster and that was trying to get the Democrats off the ledge on impeachment. And since they've, they have not been able to do that, they're going to go forward with, uh, with a minimal trial. They don't want to have all the witnesses there now, uh, according to McConnell in a closed door meeting that has of course leaked McConnell wants to push for a full acquittal, not just dismissal. And he also wants to minimize a trial. And the reason McConnell wants to minimize a trial is because uh, he doesn't want a bunch of witnesses coming in where nobody knows what they're going to say. It is too much instability, too much uh, unpredictability, and he is deeply concerned about something like that happening. Um, Yeah, I I think he's probably right about that. Uh, This is uh, reporter um, Manu Raju from CNN. Um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is expected to hold a final vote to acquit President Donald Trump should he be impeached. When a majority of senators believe his trial has run its course, instead of holding a vote on dismissing the articles of impeachment, two Republican senators told CNN. Republicans want to have a vote on acquittal, not simply rely on a 51-vote threshold procedural motion to dismiss the hotly disputed case. The Constitution mandates 67 votes are required to convict the president and remove him from office, a barrier widely considered too high to be reached in this case. McConnell can't rely on the vote of of the vice president, who has no role in impeachment, um, even though he is the president of the Senate. Uh, Pence's power only applies to legislation and nominations. Instead, Chief Justice John Roberts will preside, and any tie motions would fail. One of the senators who spoke anonymously said McConnell would not call a vote on a motion to proceed to the impeachment articles unless he knew he had the 51 votes needed to end the trial, which would then set up a final vote on the articles themselves. On that final vote, 67 votes would be needed to convict Trump. The other senator, John John Cornyn of Texas, said it would make more sense to move to vote on the articles of impeachment than on a motion to dismiss and decide this on a 51-vote threshold with the potential tie and all the recriminations that would follow. McConnell hinted at the strategy when he spoke to reporters on Tuesday and said the Senate would have two choices after hearing opening arguments from the House impeachment managers and the President's Defense Counsel. It could go down the path of calling witnesses and basically having another trial, or it could decide, and again, 51 members could make the decision that they've heard enough and believe they know what would happen and could vote to, uh, move to vote on the two articles of impeachment. Those are the options. No decision's been made yet. You need to understand this from McConnell's perspective. McConnell doesn't like uncertainty. He likes to to go forward uh, with foregone conclusions, and he likes to have everything on the table. At least he likes to he likes to know what's happening. You bring in John Bolton, and you start having witnesses testify. You don't know where this thing's going to go. You don't know where this thing's going to go. 
you bring in Mick Mulvaney, you put him under oath, you you bring in John Bolton, you put him under oath, you bring in some of these other witnesses the Democrats have already talked to. The ones you already talked to, you know what they're going to say because you have your their depositions, you have their closed door testimony, and you have their public testimony. You give the Democrat uh, prosecutors a chance to question them. Uh, you give the re- president's team a, a, uh, the opportunity to rebut them. But let's say they do call John Bolton to testify. They do call John Bolton to testify. Bolton has signaled he had concerns. So what does he say? And does that persuade Republican senators to move towards impeachment? McConnell doesn't know, and no one in the Senate knows what John Bolton would say. John Bolton's not saying. So why do you go down that road? You know, when you're in law school, and I, I went to law school, I was there, graduated, um, and practiced law for really five years. I'm, I'm still, I've got my bar license. I keep it inactive, but was actively a lawyer for six years. Took me a year to wind down some cases, but was otherwise practiced for law clerk for two, practiced for five, uh, wound down my practice for a sixth year. One of the things they teach you when you're doing trials and whatnot is you don't put people on the stand and ask questions if you don't already know the answer. In the the, the entire process, uh, and this is one frustration for Republicans, is that the Democrats intentionally rush this process. And we need to get into, into this one angle uh, that, that I mentioned in the last hour I haven't gotten to yet of, of how you can tell they, they rushed it and turned it into a partisan affair, that there is a key uh, thing that needs to be highlighted here. But you're taught in law school, and, and you practice, when you practice law with older lawyers, what you do is you go through a discovery process where you learn everything you need to know about the case, and you learn how to form a narrative. And you learn how to, when you think you're right, but you have information that undermines your case, how do you weave that information into the narrative? Because you know the other side's going to bring it up, so how do you bring it up in such a way that it undermines uh, the narrative of the other side? And you never, ever, ever, never... Never, ever put someone on the stand who you're going to ask a question to and you don't know the answer. You just don't do that. It winds up going badly for you. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've mentioned the story before. I did a, an election trial. The election trials are the one, uh, are the one place where you, you have to put people on the stand who, and you don't really know what they're going to say. I did a defense of an election in Taylor County, Georgia, years ago. Uh, it was in 2000. The clerk of court lost, I think it was 13 votes, and uh, he sued to overturn the election. There's a mathematical formula that his lawyer didn't know about, and uh, that they were not able to get the election overturned, even though he lost by only 13 votes. One of the people they put on the stand uh, said he had been, he was intimidated. And uh, so the lawyer gets him on the stand to talk about it being intimidated. He confirms he was intimidated. The judge loses his business, uh, throws everybody out of the courtroom except the lawyers and this guy and demands to know who intimidated the guy. And the guy looks at the judge and says, uh, nobody intimidated me. And the judge says, you, you just said you were intimidated. And he says, yeah, I've never been to court before. True story, actually. True story. Uh, the If you want to look it up, because you don't believe me, the year was 2000. It was the election of 2000. Uh, it, it was uh, whoever the clerk of court was. I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, versus Taylor County Board of Elections, the Secretary of State. The the guy uh, de- believed that uh, said he had been intimidated. This other woman comes up. Her brother had not signed his voter uh, uh, ballot, his absentee ballot. She had signed it. 
uh, and the the lawyer was demanding that it be thrown out. And she explained that her brother had signed his voter registration card back in the fifties or sixties. He was old. He had died between the election and the trial. And um, like the day after the election, the guy died. He was ancient, and he, both of his arms had been torn off in a cotton gin. And that's why she had to sign his absentee ballot for him. I'm not making that one up either. It was it was like a scene out of My Cousin Vinny, and. Um, Generally, though, the rule is you put people on on the stand and you already know what they're going to say. And, and that's the same thing with impeachment. And when you don't, there are too many variables and McConnell doesn't want to do that. So if he can hear the opening statements of both sides and then move to acquit the president based on what's presented, uh, he, that's what he wants to do. Now, the Democrats, of course, know this and they're going to make the best opening statement they can. But then the Republican, the president's lawyers know it as well. And, and they're going to make their best opening statement. So we'll see where it goes. But it's an interesting now that this is a reality and there's no blood on either side, seeing the Republicans now say, eh, maybe we're not going to drag this out, is an interesting shift. Now, um, I, I do want to point out, before we get into the Inspector General, I got a lot of audio on the Inspector General. We're going to spend some time on this because it's deeply troubling. But here's the reality of what the Democrats are doing. And I, this is... I spent last hour, part of the last hour, reading Chip Roy's uh, statement. Chip Roy is a congressman from Texas. He is a dear friend of mine, a uh, really good friend of mine. And he's decided uh, he'll he'll listen to the remaining evidence, but thus far it looks like this is a matter for the voters, not for Congress and impeachment. There are two dozen Republicans leaving Congress. There are two dozen Republicans leaving Congress. Half of them, at least, dislike the president. Democrats have been saying uh, for, for three years now, why are Republicans defending the president? Well, they're, they're scared of the base. They're scared of the base. They're scared of the president. They're scared of the base. These are Republican members of Congress who definitionally are no longer scared of the base because they will never be voted on by the public again. And if they vote against the president, if they decide to vote for impeachment, they will be heralded as heroes by the media. They will be vetted by Hollywood. They will be given book deals. They will get TV contracts. If they were to say no to the president, these Republicans will be heralded as heroes. Statues will be built for them. Parties will be thrown in their honor. Uh, Alyssa Milano will say nice things about them on Twitter for standing up to the president and those icky, awful, racist Republicans. When Barack Obama wanted to get Obamacare through the House and the Senate, he relied on outgoing, retiring Democrats to make it happen. He didn't have the votes. With the Democrats who were going to run for re-election again, he didn't have the votes. Barack Obama relied on retiring Democrats to give him the votes to pass Obamacare. The Democrats should be able to persuade some of these Republicans who don't like the president. They blame the president for the state of the party. They think the president's going to long-term hurt the party and hurt the country. They blame the president for them having to retire. They blame the president for the Republicans losing control of Congress. They they blame the president's voters for being an occult personality, and they never have to deal with these people again. You would think that these people would be persuadable by the Democrats. You would think the Democrats could persuade them. 
and they can't, and they haven't, and they haven't even tried. If the Democrats can't get these two dozen or so Republicans to go along with impeachment, why should the public? These are the most persuadable Republicans, and some of them really dislike the president and privately will tell you how much they dislike the president. And yet, they're not going with impeachment. Well, we, we've heard forever that they're not going, they're not standing up to the president because they're scared of the president's base and the voters. They no longer have to face the voters. They're never going to be on a ballot again. Which suggests that what you're hearing in the media and, and the circle of the wagons and, and the people who always have hated the president and they're just more vocal now, that they're missing something on impeachment, that, that the, the, the spin you're getting from the media is skewed towards the Democrats. I got a lot of friends of mine who really hate the president and they've always hated the president. And the only thing that's changed now is they're more vocal about hating the president and wanting him gone. And, and they will absolutely justify impeachment. And these are the people who should be asking themselves, why can't the Democrats get a guy like Will Hurd from South Texas, who was in the intelligence community himself, to go along with this? Why can't they get any of these Republicans to go along with them? Maybe the Democrats should be asking themselves why they can't. And perhaps had they had that discussion to begin with, they would have gone about impeachment in a different, more persuasive way. But right now, uh, more than half the registered voters in this country, according to Quinnipiac, and these Republicans in Congress all say, let the voters decide, don't do impeachment. The Democrats will have more Democrats vote against impeachment than have Republicans vote for it. That should concern them, and it clearly doesn't. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, member of Congress, put out a tweet just a short time ago um, condemning the violence in Jersey City that led to a number of Jewish residents being killed. Uh, She said white supremacy continues to kill. The shooting was done by black people. Thankfully, she has deleted it uh yeah yeah we'll get there we do need to talk about the the anti-semitism um but first uh i I, doug collins has been speaking and i want to play some of doug collins uh in the house i gotta tell you several people have told me they have seen doug collins in the last uh, week and he has looked worn out. Um, and I have to agree. He does look a little worn out and keep him in, in his family, in your prayers. He's, he, maybe he's been, been uh, under the weather. Um, but I'm, I'm sure this has got to be just a grading exercise. Don't give me the solemnity about impeaching a president. You've been wanting to do that for a long time. You ought to take it and just rejoice. Go at it because this is what you wanted. But when it comes to the hearing, when it comes to the minority rights, when it comes to one that in which we have seen time after time after time, in which I have had to write this chairman multi-page letters on the abuse of procedural issues in this committee, this is a travesty. Write about it if you want, talk about it if you want, but the American people see it because the American people understand inherently fairness. They understand due process. Why? Because it's what America was based on. It is what America takes pride in. And when we don't have it, Nobody can have it. When we don't have fairness in this committee, how can they stand up and say, on the two weakest articles of impeachment in the history of this country, honestly, with a straight face, look at the American people and say, we did good. No, you didn't. You stained this body. 
You've taken this committee and made it a rubber stamp. That's Doug Collins uh, talking about impeachment, and he's not wrong. Uh, listen, every do, every impeachment process begun in the Judiciary Committee in the past, including Clinton's, Nixon's, and even going back to Andrew Johnson, both sides were allowed to call uh, witnesses that they wanted and have those witnesses vetted. The White House, uh, the president's lawyer was able to participate. They, the Democrats didn't do it this time. They did deviate from what has historically been done in the past. And I do think that matters. Now, um, there's something else that matters. This is specifically related to Georgia. If you're listening online somewhere other than Georgia, it actually applies to you as well. But Georgia is one of the um, one of the entities uh, that is is deeply... Um, in the news on this, and it has to do with the census. And there are a number of counties in Georgia where a, a significant proportion of people are expected to respond to not respond to the census. Now, shouldn't have to explain this, but I guess I do. The House of Representatives is divided into uh, districts. Those districts are based on population. Each state gets a district uh, for every, I think it's 750,000 people, 725, 750,000 people or so. Each state gets a district. Same with your state house and your state senate. Those are divided so that the populations of each, each district are equal. The more people you have, the, the House of Representatives has a fixed number of uh, seats, and the more people Georgia gets, uh, the more likely it is, So, say, New York has lost population and Georgia has gained population. New York can lose a congressional district and Georgia can gain a congressional district. But the way to figure this out is a census. Also, your state gets federal dollars in proportion to its citizens, the more citizens your state has, the more money it gets from the federal government in block grants and other things for education, for poverty, for housing, uh, for roads, you name it. And in Georgia, the census count will begin in January. Uh, census workers are being hired right now. Uh, they do door-to-door -door censuses in this country. The Democrats wanted to do statistical sampling, and the Supreme Court said statistical sampling isn't valid. The Constitution requires an actual door-to-door -door census, um, uh, knock on doors and take the census. And what typically happens is you'll get something in the mail from the federal government. You will fill it out, and you will send it in. If you don't, uh, people will come to your door and say, hey— we need to know how many people live in your house. There are a number of counties in Georgia that are expected to be completely ignored by the census or to, to not have adequate responses. I have the names of those counties, and I want us to go through them uh, because some of them are in the listening area, including Clark County. I'll tell you what I know when we come back here on The Eric Erickson Show. I want to spend a good bit of time on the Inspector General's report. Uh, Mr. Horowitz testified yesterday. Uh, before I do, though, uh, this program is uh, really specifically in Georgia. Uh, and, well, I have a master plan to for worldwide domination. Right now we are in Georgia. And 
I want to spend a little bit of time on a story uh, in uh, Axios that there are a number of groups in the state of Georgia that are expected to be undercounted in the census. And the census affects everything about our relationship with the federal government. Uh, The census determines the number of representatives we have in Congress. It determines the amount of money we get for highway funds. It determines the amount of money we get for school, public schools, for housing, for campaigns to fight poverty. Uh, it determines a lot. And there are a number of counties in Georgia that the federal government uh, is predicting will get undercounted. And, and the undercounting tends to be um, Unauthorized immigrant populations, large minority populations, non-traditional households, uh, lots of young children, uh, poverty, and and lack of uh, internet access. What typically happens is you're going to get a a letter in the mail from the federal government uh, that demands that you comply by responding to tell them how many people are in your house. And whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, uh, native Hawaiian, you name it. And you are obligated legally to fill this out and send it back. And if you don't, you will get a knock at your door. Some people will get a very burdensome uh, survey uh, from the census. And that very burdensome survey will demand to know uh, how many toilets you have in your house and all that. It's ridiculous. Uh, but uh, the, the key here is the federal government wants to know about you and your household, how many people are in your household. And there are a number of counties in Georgia where the federal government is signaling that they may have a very, um, very, very difficult time getting people to respond. And I want to review some of that for you. One of them is our flagship station, WGAU in Athens, Georgia and Clark County. Um, the federal government is warning that up to 26.4% of the county could fail to respond. The reason being is there are a high proportion of renters because they're college students there. Uh, there's low median income in uh, Clark County. There's a high proportion living below the poverty line. And those factors, uh, high renter, low median income, and uh, purport, high proportion below the poverty line is a red flag of people who will be undercounted in the census. And, and it, it, it is essentially people cut off their nose despite their face in this regard because uh, if you are undercounted in the census, uh, you're then undercounted in the amount of aid given to your county by the federal government to help you fight poverty. So you have a large number of people who are below the poverty line in your county those people need the most help from the government, and those are the people least likely to be counted in the census. And uh, that's that's kind of a problem. Uh, the Bibb County, uh, here is where I am, Macon, same thing, uh, 26.3%. is 26.4 in, in Clark, 26.3 in Bibb County. Uh, the reason here, low median income, high proportion living below poverty, and high proportion of, of uh, black households. Um, black voters in Georgia tend to um, tend to not comply with the census. Also, frankly, uh, there are a lot of people who go to work for the census who claim that they've gone into uh, black communities, but because of uh, crime in the area or perception of crime in the area, they don't actually go. And people get undercounted. Macon County, not Macon, Georgia, but Macon County, one of my, my funny pet peeves with Georgia is how many counties there are that have the same name as cities, and the cities and the counties are never in the same place. Macon County, 
26.3% there. Uh, Macon County is south of, of actual Macon. Um, high proportion below the age of 19 with no insurance. High proportion of people above the age of 65 with no insurance. High proportion of people 19 to 65 with no insurance. Now, what does that have to do with it? Statistically speaking, people who have no health insurance are people who live below the poverty line or are migrant populations. And those people, a lot of them may be illegal aliens and they don't want to talk to a census worker because they're afraid they'll get deported. Uh, down in, in on the coast, Liberty County, 26% um, because of a high proportion of renters, a uh, high proportion who are different, who moved to a different location from last year and a high proportion of people 18 to 24. Uh, that area south of Chatham County, as a, that in Long County as well for the same reason, also a high proportion speaking Korean and English not very good, has a lot to do with uh, military bases in that area. Uh, and then there's uh, Eccles County next to Lowndes County, next to Valdosta, uh, 25%, a quarter of the population is expected to not um, comply, not answer the census. High proportion of uh, people 19 to 64 with no insurance and high proportion of um, American Indian and Alaska natives in that area, which is an interesting statistic to see. Muskogee County. 27% of Muskogee County, that's Columbus, is expected not to answer the census taker's door knock uh, because of a high proportion of renters and a high proportion of, of African-American community. Now, renters, in addition to a lot of them being college students who are actually from elsewhere or military in Muskogee County's case, it's hard to get into the apartment complex. Now, uh, according to the law, apartment complexes have to let the census workers in to knock on the doors. But given how apartment complexes are structured, it is often very hard for that to happen. Uh, if you're a, if you are a landlord, though, you're supposed to let them in. Now, Chattahoochee County, which is right next door to Muskogee, same situation really, has a lot to do with um, age and military. 28.8%, that may be the highest in the state. I think it is the highest in the state. 28.8%. Um, Why? Um, high proportion with children under the age of six, high proportion of renters, high proportion age 18 to 24. Uh, that, again, has a lot to do with military families in the area, among other situations. Those are some of the counties. The, the other big one is uh, Fulton County. Fulton County is Atlanta. Uh, it is Alpharetta. It is um, what it's, there are so many newly incorporated places in Fulton County. I can't keep track of all of them, but has a high proportion of renters and a low rate of prior responses. And so they're worried about it. Atlanta could cause the entire state to be thrown off in the census. Uh, last one you need to know about. Actually, there are two more you need to know about Polk County, south of Floyd County, south of Rome, Polk County. Uh, also is expected to be undercounted in the census. And then Whitfield County on the North Georgia line has a high proportion of Hispanic voters, and that suggests uh, that they will be undercounted. Now, a couple of the counties that are going to expected to do fully well in compliance, Cherokee County, the Woodstock area, is expected to do quite well uh, in answering the census. Pickens County, uh, W-Y-Y-Z, y'all are expected to answer the census uh, pretty well. Towns and Union County is expected to do pretty good uh, with answering the county. And then Habersham County is at 19%, uh, but still considered uh, really good. 
The rest of you people need to work on it. Also, Atkinson County down there, you you guys in Atkinson County, about a quarter of the population, not expected to answer the scissors. Now, I wrote, this may bore you to death, and I'm sorry, but I feel like it's a public service I need to do um, because there actually are real issues uh, with the ability of people to respond in the state of Georgia to the census. If you do not respond in the state of Georgia, you impact all of us. Uh, Richmond County, I, I just actually, a, a listener over there said, look at Richmond. Sure enough, uh, Richmond, a quarter of Richmond County, that's Augusta, also expected not to respond uh, because of low median income and high proportion of uh, black households. We know this is going to happen. The state of Georgia is hiring people right now to go into neighborhoods in communities around the state, particularly in these I've mentioned, and encourage people to respond to the census when it happens. This is happening nationwide. Uh, Ironically, black voters tend to undermine themselves because they tend to, even more so than Hispanic, legal Hispanic voters, legal Hispanic citizens, I should say, voters that matter, it's, it's the number of people. So illegals and legals all need to be counted in the census because it all impacts your state's representation and funding. But black voters, black voters, black residents tend to be the ones who hurt themselves the most in all of this because even more so than legal Hispanic residents of the country, um, black residents in the United States tend to do worse than anyone else when it comes to responding to the census. They tend to not respond. They tend to not allow the census worker uh, into their home. They tend to not open the door, and they tend to not return the mail from the census. Now, honestly, I don't under- I, I, I don't blame them. I think it is, is a horribly invasive, but when you get the letter in the mail, frankly, uh, when you get the letter in the mail, respond to the letter in the mail, and you don't have to have to worry about it. So please, please. I call out those counties. I don't mean to bore you to death. It is a public service announcement I am doing, uh, by and large, participate in the census next year. It is going to directly affect your state, your county, your city, your school, your census tract, your, your, your city block will be affected by the census. That's how important it is to this country. When the founders created this country, they decided to do a manual counting of the population every 10 years in order to figure out how many people lived in this country, in order to figure out congressional districts and districts for houses of representatives, not senates. Typically, you know what used to happen is senates in in states would be just like the U.S. Senate. If you have 159 counties, uh, you have 159 senators. Each senator represents a county. Well, you know, Georgia did this. and It's one reason we have so many counties now. Um, they just kept adding new counties. So as Atlanta grew, you'd have more and more, con- more, and more state house districts. So you'd have more and more counties. And uh, the population of Atlanta would be offset by rural voters. Eventually, the the Supreme Court said, nope, you can't do that anymore. I think there are a couple of states. I think Wisconsin is one that is still allowed to have uh, one senator per county because it didn't have a history of racial discrimination or some such. I think I read that somewhere. Don't hold me to that one. But um, used to be that way. But still to this day, your state Senate, your state house, uh, your county commission lines, your school board districts, your house of representatives, they're all determined based on how many people live in your area. So you need to respond to the census. You need to tell people in your neighborhood to respond to the census. Uh, Everybody needs to participate.
Now, I want to take you back. The United States House of Representatives is uh, contemplating impeachment. They are talking. Here is Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Deployed against a president like the one that is being used against Donald Trump. They're the ones seeking to nullify our vital constitutional safeguards with this sham. Their ultimate objective is to nullify the votes of the 63 million Americans who voted to elect Donald Trump to president. They violated due process and all the rest. My colleague, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, a little while ago, evoked and quoted Barbara Jordan, but she's the one that said during the Watergate inquiry, impeachment not only mandates due process, but due process quadrupled. They have violated that here. They have violated the rules, and everybody in the country can see it. This impeachment's gonna fail. The Democrats will pay a heavy political price for it, but the Pandora's box they've opened today will do irreparable injury to our country in the years ahead. That's why we're concerned. That's why the facts matter. And that's why we need to move on. I yield back. The gentleman yields back. For what purposes, Chairman. Mr. Garcia, seek recognition. Mr. Chairman, I move to strike the last word. Gentlelady is recognized. Mr. Chairman, I'm um, opposed to this amendment. It, it's incredible to me that the other side of the aisle has, has not seen the facts and has not apparently read some of the evidence before us. It is obvious to me uh, that this president has put his personal interests above this country. Uh, and with that, I'll yield back to um, the gentleman from Maryland, Mr. Cecil Lee. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Sorry? Rhode Island. Oh, Rhode Island. <laughs> I thank the gentlelady for yielding. Um, we've just heard our Republican colleagues claim that there was no uh, demand, no conditionality for the release of this aid. And in fact, it was motivated by this president's deep desire to ferret out corruption. That is laughable. President of the United States had two phone calls with President Zelensky. He never once even uttered the word corruption because it wasn't about corruption. And the reason we know that is the Department of Defense had already certified that steps had been taken to combat corruption back on May 23rd. And despite that certification, that hold remained in place. In fact, the professionals testified about them trying to figure out how is it possible it's legal to hold this aid? That is uh, Cicilline from Rhode Island. Uh, he is one of the lead sponsors on the um, articles of impeachment. The Republicans have moved to strike the first article of impeachment, which is uh, abuse of power. They are debating this. The, the vote will be held probably this evening. And we will then have the House of Representatives uh, vote next week. And that's about all the rest we need to deal with here on impeachment. When we come back, we do need to begin to delve into Michael Horowitz, the inspector general, and his report. Even some people on MSNBC are starting to come out and say, you know what? This actually is pretty bad what happened. I want to play you some audio to set the stage for where we need to head. Uh, of all things, it is MSNBC. It is uh, Andre Mitchell on MSNBC. And even she is beginning to note that there are real problems with the Inspector General report. There are real concerns with what happened with the FBI when it came to investigating the Trump campaign and possible collusion with the Russians. 
Andre Mitchell on MSNBC is not exactly a conservative, a Republican, a Trump supporter. Yet listen. There were very clear mistakes made by the FBI in the first approval and subsequent reapprovals, submissions for authorization by the FISA court, that special security judge who approves surveillance. And a particular point was something that is pretty egregious, which is the altering of a document to not inform the court and, and to not inform others that Carter Page, who was a former uh, associate, Trump campaign associate of the president's, was actually also at times a confidential source of the cia and to not share that information is pretty which would have been very you know obviously exculpatory which might have led the judge to not approve the surveillance warrant on him so that is a key thing that of course lindsey graham in defense of the president now the chair of the judiciary committee and the president on the stump are seizing uh the audio cuts out but uh you get the point they did refuse to share information. They did refuse to state facts. Here's Brett Baer on Fox News. I've watched more hours of hearings over the past two weeks than I care to, uh, but one thing that came to the fore again is that a lot of questions were asked again and then again and again by both sides, um, knowing that they had been asked before. Democrats focusing on the determination that there was no political bias in the launching of the investigation. Uh, Republicans saying, wait a second, there's no political bias? Can you say that? And Horowitz saying, no, we didn't find any documentary or testimonial evidence and kind of parsing these words. The bottom line, though, is that there are major egregious problems in the in the depth of this IG report that these 17 things are not just simple mistakes. They are omissions and in one case, a fraudulent effort to change an email to make a case to a FISA court to wiretap an American citizen. Uh, there were confidential sources that were uh, wired up to listen to members of the Trump campaign or people tied to it uh, that were recording them. Democrats said, well, they didn't insert spies into the campaign. No, they were tangential to it, but they were recording people who were tied to it. Uh, the, the Crossfire Hurricane team was picked out by Andrew McCabe, the former deputy of the FBI, all of the members, and they oversaw all of this effort. McCabe is now a contributor at another network. There were administration officials and GOP people who were tweeting out that that network didn't take a lot of this coverage today. Uh, but I'll tell you, at the end of this day, both sides of the aisle admitted that there are serious problems in the FISA uh, court system and ones that they have to address quickly. There's a real problem for the FBI in this audio, uh, and we're going to hear from uh, the inspector general when we come back. There's just not enough time right now before we go to break to really dive into his audio and what he said, but it's pretty bad. And it is worth noting uh, that Andrew McCabe had a role to play in this. And Andrew McCabe is now a paid contributor at CNN. In fact, uh, you will hear when we come back that all the people, all the people were picked by Andrew McCabe on these teams. And you will hear that the FISA court was lied to by a lawyer for the FBI. The lawyer for the FBI found out from the CIA that Carter Page was actually a source for the CIA. 
And the lawyer for the FBI changed the documents to say the CIA said he was not a source for the CIA. That lawyer is now going to be charged with a felony from the FBI. He nearly got away with it. Nearly got away with it. The Democrats insist that there was a factual basis outside of the Christopher Steele dossier for pursuing these claims. Uh, the, the Republicans insist that's not so. The inspector general says there was a factual basis. And now uh, John Durham and Bill Barr are coming out and saying, wait a second, we may have some more information to add to this that will change your opinion. And uh, the Democrats are doubling down on partisan talking points on this. Uh, I want to get into it when we come back and we need to listen to this audio. It is deeply, every American, regardless of partisanship, should be troubled by what the FBI did. It's time for me to tell you about my favorite toothbrush. Uh, holiday season is approaching and you can get the Quip. The Quip is actually, it's a great stocking stuffer. It's a great toothbrush. You know, I had one of those $100 Sonic vibrating toothbrushes and you had to take the charger with you. It, it was just, it was garbage. Uh, I didn't like it. The brush head was very small. You could not get the brush head on the toothbrush in the back of your mouth to actually clean uh, the, the back of your teeth. The Quip is designed by designers and dentists working together. You can totally tell. It's got sensitive Sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. Uh, you got the Quip floss dispenser. It has pre-marked strings, so you can always use the right amount. Uh, you got the Quip sends you a new brush head every three months. They've got a great, 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 great toothbrush and now flossing as well. Just go to getquip.com slash Erickson to save on gift sets. Get your first brush head refill pack for free with a refill plan. So you get your first brush head refill for free at getquip, Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, getquip.com slash Erickson. It is a great toothbrush. It is the toothbrush that I have been using for multiple years. My wife and child use it as well. I really do recommend Quip. I really am a user, and I was before I started doing this commercial. That's why I really recommend it. GetQuip.com. Hello and welcome across the state of Georgia. I am Eric Erickson. This is The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you would like to call in, 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. You can email me, Eric, it's E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's E-W Erickson and all of them, uh, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Uh, Delta is going to hire 1,300 pilots, 2,500 flight attendants next year, which is incredible. The largest round of hiring in a single year in more than two decades. It's hiring pilots for uh, Atlanta, New York, Minneapolis, Detroit, Seattle, and elsewhere. It's part of a broader effort to hire more than 8,000 pilots over the next decade as pilots are retiring. Uh, there is actually a shortage um, of pilots in the nation right now. Um, it's, it's interesting. Now, I don't want to spend any more time on that. I want to get into the inspector general's report. I think it is a really big deal. It is getting the press coverage that it is due from Fox and, I'm a little bit disappointed in CNN's handling. Now, and not everyone at CNN. I, I should note that uh, Jake Tapper actually has done a good job of covering this and has been troubled by this. Uh, Andrew McCabe, however, is involved in this. He is now a CNN contributor. I want to uh, replay part of uh, Brett Bear's statements yesterday on Fox News as he watched this stuff play out. And then we got a lot of audio that you need to listen to 
to understand what's happening. Bottom line, though, is that there are major egregious problems in the in the depth of this IG report that these 17 things are not just simple mistakes. There are omissions and in one case, a fraudulent effort to change an email to make a case to a FISA court to wiretap an American citizen. Uh, there were confidential sources that were uh, wired up to listen to members of the Trump campaign or people tied to it uh, that were recording them. Democrats said, well, they didn't insert spies into the campaign. No, they were tangential to it, but they were recording people who were tied to it. Uh, the, the Crossfire Hurricane team was picked out by Andrew McCabe, the former deputy of the FBI, all of the members, and they oversaw all of this effort. McCabe is now a contributor at another network. There were administration officials and GOP people who were tweeting out that that network didn't take a lot of this coverage today. Uh, but I'll tell you, at the end of this day, both sides of the aisle admitted that there are serious problems in the FISA uh, court system and ones that they have to address quickly. Yes, they do. And that is CNN where Andrew McCabe is hired. In fact, don't believe Bear, don't take his word for it. Here's Michael Horowitz, the inspector general. These are experienced people, right? In this case, these were experienced people. Many of them had professional degrees, include but not limited to law degrees, right? I actually don't know what all their degrees were. Okay. Um, they knew the law. They should have not only known the law, they should have known every single policy that they had to deal with. Here. I mean, they were handpicked by Mr. McCabe, right? They were handpicked. Okay. Uh, this wasn't their first rodeo. Um, it certainly wasn't, with a, maybe an exception or two towards the end, of relatively new agents coming on board. Well, but, but that, that, to me, that is, should not have been an excuse, just sure. to be clear. Well, it just seems to me that it has to be one or two things either incompetence. Or intentional conduct. I agree. It's either sheer incompetence, intentionally, or, or something perhaps in between. So Rose which do you think it is? We've got so many different people here. It's, it, 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 first of all, it wouldn't be fair to lump everybody into one because there are different actors coming in at different times. Some people have more touches of this than others. I think it's fair for people to sit there and look at all of these 17 events and wonder how it could be purely incompetence. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again. I know this puts you in a tough spot. Um, and I hope you'll tell your colleagues back at the FBI that uh, we appreciate their work. Absolutely. But uh, this got to be fixed. Yeah. At a minimum, somebody's got to be fired. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the person who should be fired was probably Andrew McCabe, who's now got a sweet gig at CNN. Uh, that was Senator Kennedy of Louisiana asking the questions. He also, <laughs> Kennedy is always one to coin a great phrase. He's the Doug Collins of the Senate in that regard. Listen to this. I believe the, the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in all of human history. Would you disagree with that? I would not. Um, but clearly we've got some bad apples. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you and I want to thank your team for your usual superb job. After I, re I, I haven't read the entire report. I'm about 70% of the way through, but I'm going to finish it. It's tedious. Yes. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. It's supposed to be tedious. Right. 
After about 15% of the way through, it made me want to heave. After about 25% of the way through, I thought I dropped acid. It's surreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which raises all sorts of questions, uh, does it not? Uh, now, I, I do want to play just just in the the interest of uh, full disclosure, fairness, and everything else. Um, I do want to play for you some of um, what Diane Feinstein had to say because Horowitz, one of the things Horowitz contends that the uh, John Durham, uh, who is investigating the situation, feels as well, is wrong. Horowitz says he actually thinks that there was no basis uh, or, or that there was no political uh, motivation for the investigation. Horowitz thinks that there was a lot of justification for proceeding down the road. I want to explain that to you, but before I do, let me set the stage with the interaction with Diane Feinstein, the senator, or senior senator from California. The inspector General kept his promise. His office conducted a 19-month investigation. They interviewed more than 100 witnesses, reviewed more than a million documents, and issued this 434-page report that contains several important findings. First, on a question of bias, Inspector General Horowitz found no evidence that political or anti-Trump bias was at play. According to the IG's report, the FBI complied with existing department and FBI policies in opening the investigation. And the IG, quote, did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that political bias or improper motivation influenced this decision, end quote, or any specific investigative steps taken by the FBI. That's the finding. And this is important. Why? In public statements beginning last spring, the Attorney General expressed his belief that senior government officials may have, quote, put a thumb on the scale, end quote, because of political bias against Trump. His comments echoed the President, who has repeatedly alleged that there is a deep state within the government against him. He has used this to dismiss the entire Russia investigation as a witch hunt and a hoax. The IG's report conclusively refutes these claims. This was not a politically motivated investigation. There is no deep state. Simply put, the FBI investigation was motivated by facts not bias. She says that, except the New York Times has come out in praise of the deep state recently. And uh, John Durham, the man over who is highly respected by the Democrats, who's been put in charge of an investigation by Bill Barr, says, you know what, we, we may actually, the, it's not that the inspector general got it wrong, it's that they may have withheld information from the inspector general, and he's investigating that. I want to play you from yesterday, we didn't get a chance to get to this yesterday, but it's what Bill Barr had to say about the Durham investigation. What do you think, what questions will John Durham address that the IG didn't? Well, uh, Durham is, is looking at the whole waterfront, 
he is looking at the issue of how it got started. Uh, he's looking at whether or not the narrative of, of uh, uh, tr Trump being involved in the Russian interference actually preceded July and was, in fact, the precipitating uh, trigger for the uh, investigation. Uh, he's also looking at uh, the conduct of the investigation. There are some things that were done in the investigation that are not included in Horowitz's report, and he's looking at those things. But also, a few weeks ago, I told him that he should spend just as much attention on the post-election period. And I did that because of some of the uh, stuff that Horowitz has uncovered, which to me is inexplicable. Such inexplicable. As? Well, what I said is their case collapsed after the election. And they never told the court. And they kept on getting renewals on these applications. Uh, they, there was documents falsified in order to get these renewals. Uh, there was all kinds of uh, withholding of information from the court. And uh, the question really is, what was the agenda after the election that kept them pressing ahead after their case collapsed? This is the president of the United States. Yeah, he's right. One of the things Durham finds, or one of the things Horowitz found, is that the FBI lied to the FISA court. Like an FBI lawyer actually changed a document to present it to the FISA court. Here's here's uh, William Barr on the Hor on Horowitz himself and his review. The inspector general says he found no evidence to indicate that the FBI's decision to start this investigation was based on a political bias. Do you agree? Well, uh, what, what do you actually, I think you have to understand what the IG's methodology is, and I think it's the appropriate methodology for an inspector general. Uh, he starts with limited information. He can only talk to people who are essentially there as employees, and he's limited to the information generally uh, in the FBI. But his approach is to say, if I get an explanation from the people I'm investigating that is not unreasonable on its face, then I will accept it as long as there's not contradictory testimonial or documentary evidence. In other words, it's a very deferential standard. And all he said is, people gave me an explanation and I didn't find anything to contradict it, so I don't have a basis for saying that there was improper motive. But he hasn't decided the issue of improper motive. Have you? Uh, no. I think we have to wait until the investigation, the full investigation is done, and that's the fundamental distinction between what Durham is doing and what the IG is doing. Durham is not limited to the FBI. He can talk to other agencies. Uh, he can compel people to testify. One of the, the problems in the IG's investigation, I think he would agree, is that Comey refused to sign back up for his security clearance and therefore couldn't be questioned about classified matters. So someone like, uh, someone like Durham can compel testimony. He can talk to a whole range of people, private parties, foreign governments, and so forth. And I think uh, uh, that is the point at which a decision has to be made. Uh, about motivations, uh, and I think we, uh, right now it would be premature to make any judgment one way or the other. Yes, Horowitz said that he didn't think there was political motivation. He didn't think there was political motivation, but some of the things that actually came out were actually really troubling. 
between how they handled it, how they got it, how they began it, and and the information they presented to the courts. We we need to hear what they did in court. I mean, one of these guys from the FBI is probably going to go to jail, deservedly so, for what he did. And again, a a major news network that has gone wall-to-wall with impeachment coverage did not want to go to coverage with this yesterday. And it just so happens that they made a big deal about hiring one of the people who is implicated now in the inspector general's report. And that's problematic. You can call in 877-973-7425 and I will take your phone call. Maybe unless you're, I, you know, when I first started doing radio nine to midnight, um, so I got hired uh, when Herman Cain was running for president, and um, I, I got hired to um, take his job when he was running for president. And I started, he, he st- stuck around for a couple of months, and so I, I started, and my show was from 9 to midnight, and it was uh, about the time everybody was talking about the Obama phones, and, and it was a big deal, and sure enough, uh, they were real. And people would call in, oh my goodness gracious, they were um, a lot of drunk people calling. Uh, I, I mean, I, I got a, a lot of drunk people would call, particularly after 10 p.m., uh, you would get really intoxicated people calling radio shows. And um, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, so don't call me drunk or obnoxious. Um, but if you have a question or your comment on impeachment or, or the FISA stuff, 877-973-7425. Let us delve in now to some more of the audio on the situation with the FISA and this from Lindsey Graham. Surveilling Carter Page became unlawful. Um, I will let the court decide that. The court has this report and will make that decision. Let's put it this way. If you don't have a legal foundation to surveil somebody and you keep doing it, is that bad? Absolutely. Is that spying? Um, it's, it's not, it's illegal surveillance. It's not court authorized Whatever illegal surveillance means, they did it. So all this stuff that they didn't illegally surveil Trump's campaign, they did because they had no legal basis after the January 2017 uh, data dump by the, the Russian guy to believe that the dossier was reliable. It's fair. Now, here's the clip I've been waiting for. This one's short. It's to the point. Richard Blumenthal is the senator from Connecticut. He's the former attorney general of Connecticut. He clearly knows never to ask questions that you don't already know the answer to. But he didn't know the answer to his questions. And and this went viral yesterday. And even Democrats were saying, oh, that's a bad look for Blumenthal. Uh, He clearly had not read the inspector general's report that showed that they provided the FBI provided false information to the FISA court. Those FISA warrants, they were renewed a number of times, correct? Three times. Based on your experience and maybe your report, there's a reason why warrants are renewed. They're renewed because they are producing useful information, correct? Or they should be producing useful information. They should be. That's how I'll phrase it. And your review of those warrants would indicate that they were producing useful information, correct? Um, 
Not sure that's entirely correct, and I don't know how much I can say about that in this setting. Well, they were producing information. They were producing information. I'm not sure how I would characterize whether they were helpful or not. Oh, yeah. Yes. For example, the Crossfire Hurricane team obtained information from Steele's primary subsource in January 2017 that raised significant questions about the reliability of the Steele reporting. This was particularly noteworthy because the FISA applications relied entirely on information from the from the steel I'm sorry from the primary subsources reporting to support the allegation that Page was coordinating with the Russian government on 2016 U.S. presidential election activities. However, the FBI did not share this information with department lawyers, and it was therefore omitted from the last two renewal applications. Ah, uh, yeah. Way to go, FBI. I mean, again, even Democrats out there are expressing concern about this. I mean, let's just go back to some of the commentary on MSNBC about this. Any indictment that Robert Mueller brought depends on the Steele dossier, and no aspect of any indictment that Robert Mueller brought uh, depends on the surveillance of Carter Page. And so... You know, I don't want to diminish the IG's findings or be dismissive of the IG's findings on the FISA material because, frankly, they're very upsetting and this is not the way the process should work. It is not the way the process should work. A little bit more about the process. I want to I got a clip I want to play for you, but it's it's over two minutes long. It is just the inspector general. It's about two minutes, 17 seconds. Uh, We got about less than 30 seconds here. Uh, When we come back, you need to hear this. It is the ultimate summation of what went wrong. And then we'll let some of the the Republicans grandstand a little bit. I got some good audio from some of the Republicans outraged by it. But you got to hear what the inspector general says about his own report in his own words when we come back here on the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-877-97-ERIC. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson, and you need to know something. Uh, Real Clear Politics uh, does polling averages. Polling averages are always better than individual polls. The reason polling averages are always better than individual polls is because some polls suck and some polls are really good. And you put the average together, and you get a fairly good snapshot of where things are. And, well, you need to know something significant has happened. For the first time since they began asking... Uh, October 1st, since they began doing a poll of um, public support for impeachment. The polling average has always had public support for impeachment uh, higher than uh, public opposition to impeachment. For the first time ever, support and opposition to impeachment are tied. And it's very interesting to see the polling. Monmouth University has a no at seven points. Uh, Quinnipiac has no up six points. Politico has yes up nine points. Economist has yes up four points. It's interesting to see that that uh, there isn't a ton of it out there, but it is. I mean, Quinnipiac has had. Let's see. Um, NPR has it tied. Gallup has no by two. Uh, Quinnipiac in uh, the end of November had no up three. Now it has no up six. Uh, it's it's this is interesting. 
It's, it's interesting to know about. This comes on the heels of the Inspector General report that shows the FBI really screwed things up. I want to play for you now the audio of uh, Michael Horowitz, the Inspector General of the Justice Department, explaining just how badly things were screwed up. Uh, he is interacting with members of the Senate, of course. You'll hear them, but listen to him. Surveillance authority under FISA can significantly assist the government's efforts to combat terrorism, clandestine intelligence activity, and other threats to the national security. At the same time, the use of this authority unavoidably raises civil liberties concerns. FISA orders can be used to surveil U.S. persons, and in some cases, the surveillance will foreseeably collect information about the individual's constitutionally protected activities, such as Carter Page's legitimate activities on behalf of a presidential campaign. Moreover, proceedings before the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which is responsible for ruling on application for, applications for FISA orders, are ex parte, meaning that unlike most court proceedings, the government is the only party present for the proceedings, and FISA orders have not been subject to scrutiny through subsequent adversarial proceedings, like court-authorized like court search warrants and wiretap applications are potentially through the criminal process. In light of these concerns, the FISA statute and department and FBI policies and procedures have established important safeguards to protect the FISA application process from irregularities and abuse. Among the most, <coughs> among the most important are the requirements in FBI policy that every FISA application must contain a, quote, full and accurate, close quote, presentation of the facts and that agents must ensure that all factual statements in FISA applications are, quote, scrupulously accurate, close quote. These are the standards for all FISA applications, regardless of the investigation sensitivity, regardless, I'm sorry, and it is incumbent upon the FBI to meet them in every application. Nevertheless, we found that investigators failed to meet their basic obligations of ensuring that the FISA applications were scrupulous, scrupulously accurate. We identified significant inaccuracies and omissions in each of the four applications, seven in the first application and a total of 17 by the final renewal application. 17. Here's Josh Howley, Senator from Missouri. Is it worse to have a foreign government trying to meddle in our elections or is it worse to have our own government meddling in the election? Because that's, I think, exactly what this report shows. It shows that our government, the most powerful law enforcement agency in the nation, the FBI, effectively meddled in an ongoing presidential campaign. And the thing that gets me is you expect it from foreign governments. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying that you expect it. They've been doing it for years. Russia's been doing it for years. We know they tried to do it this last cycle. China has been doing it. Others have been doing it. And we know what steps to take. We've got to take them more effectively. But when our own government does it, how can the American people have confidence? And what do we do? I mean, what do we do? And there's one actor here, I think, who has not gotten the credit that they collectively deserve, and that's the Democrat National Committee. I just think, you know, I've heard my friends on the other side of the aisle complain about Hillary Clinton's campaign and how ineffective it was and how the DNC didn't do a good job in 2016. I beg to differ. This is the most incredible. The DNC 
pays for the Steele dossier, solicits the Steele dossier, and then gets the Federal Bureau of Investigation to go get FISA warrants, surveil an American citizen, surveil a presidential campaign, all on the basis of this manufactured garbage that they pay for. I mean, that's extraordinary. I, that's, that has got to be a first time in history. And here's Ted Cruz. Listen to this one. This one is, is, has pretty much gone viral. And I can tell you from my time at the Department of Justice and from my time in law enforcement, any responsible leader, when hearing that you're talking about sending in spies and sending in a wiretap on any presidential nominee, should say, what in the hell are we doing? And by the way, the people up the chain who are saying we didn't know if you had responsible leadership, there's no more important decision than you make. I can tell you when I was at DOJ, if someone said, let's tap Hillary Clinton or let's tap Bill Clinton or John Kerry, the people there would have said, what in the hell are you talking about? What was going on here? This wasn't Jason Bourne. This was Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and, you know, the other thing Ted Cruz really putting a succinct nutshell on is the fact that they actually did change uh, written statements before the FISA court. I mean, just consider that for a moment, that they changed written statements from the CIA to the FISA court. Listen to, to, to this exchange with Cruz and Horowitz. Uh, well, let me rearrange the audio here so you can hear it. Yeah, sorry, folks. Technical difficulties all of a sudden here with the with the computer system. It's one of those gremlin days. Here we go. Let's see if this fixes it. So the men and women at home need to know what's happening. A lawyer at the FBI creates fraudulent evidence, alters an email. That is in turn used as the basis for a sworn statement to the court that the court relies on. Am I stating that accurately? Uh, that's correct. That is what occurred. Uh, wow. They altered, and just so you understand here, just so you understand, the lawyer for the FBI reached out to the CIA and said, hey, is this guy a CIA informant, Carter Page? And the lawyer for the FBI said, yes, this guy is a CIA informant. I'm sorry, the, the, the CIA tell, tells, the, um, tells the FBI, yes, this guy is a lawyer source for the CIA. And what happens? The lawyer, Kleinsmith is his name, alters the document, alters the document. So that the judge is told that Carter Page is not a source for the CIA. When you read this report, what they find is that a lawyer supervising the FISA process at the FBI, according to Mr. Horowitz, doctored an email from the CIA to the FBI, and he's going to be referred for criminal prosecution. Why is that important? Carter Page, who's been on the receiving end of all this, the foundation to believe he was a foreign agent comes from a dossier that we'll talk about in a minute. And that dossier provided by Christopher Steele, and we'll talk about him in a minute, 
They claim that Carter Page meets with three people known to be Russians, Russian agents, people associated with Russia. Carter Page, while being wiretapped by his government, says, I don't know two of these people. And to this day, there is no proof that he ever met two of those three. The third person, he says, yeah, I met him. I told the CIA about my meeting because I was a source for the CIA. So they would have you believe that Carter Page is working against our government, not with our government. So Carter Page in the summer of 2017 is tr trying to tell anybody and everybody, I was working with the CIA, I reported my contact with this person, and nobody believed him. The CIA had told the FBI it was true earlier, but it never made it through the system. Somebody got so rattled at the FBI, they asked Mr. Kleinsmith to check it out. He checks it out. He communicates with the CIA. Is Carter Page a source for you? In an email exchange, they say, yes, he is. What does Mr. Kleinsmith do? He alters the email to say, no, he's not. And you caught him. When you read. Wow. That actually happened, y'all. That actually happened. Kleinsmith at the FBI, who was overseeing the FISA process, actually did that. And he's probably going to go to jail now for a felony. Here's Mike Lee, senator from Utah. So we're faced with two possibilities. Either one, these FBI agents purposely use the power of the federal government to wage a political war against a presidential candidate they despised. Or two, these agents were so incompetent that they allowed a paid foreign political operative to weaponize the, the FISA program into a spying operation on a rival presidential political campaign. I'm not sure about you, but I, I'm not sure which one is worse. I, I am sure that neither conclusion is acceptable. They're both horrifying for slightly different reasons. I'm not sure there is a substantive distinction between the two of them. I'm not sure one can conclude. I'm not sure it's possible to conclude that the bias evident in communications between some of these investigators wasn't at least a part of it. Now, the fact that you say that there wasn't a causal connection between them, that there wasn't a sine qua non with uh, a but-for causal chain uh, between those communications and the opening of the investigation itself is beside the point. The fact is, it, these were agents who made their bias clear, and they went after someone in part because they did not like his candidacy. And in fact, here's what the IG says about the briefings that the Trump campaign was being given by the FBI. Uh, I've been asking questions since September 2017. This is Charles about Krasny what speaking kind first. of defensive briefings the FBI provided to the Trump campaign. The FBI told me its briefings to both campaigns were similar and that it wasn't aware of action that it took as a result. Uh, Chairman Johnson and I wrote again to the FBI two months ago. We noted that text messages between Strzok and Page indicated 
that the FBI may have used defensive briefings not to warn the Trump campaign, but to investigate it. Four questions along this line. Question number one, would you agree that with respect to the defensive briefings, the Trump campaign's briefings were treated differently than those provided to the Clinton campaign? Um, if I could, they were called strategic. It was not an FBI briefing. The FBI went to a um, office of the national uh, director of national intelligence briefing. It was a strategic counterintelligence briefing. And the, I mention that because it precisely wasn't a defensive briefing. It was an intelligence briefing. And it, they were treated differently in that the agent wrote it up to the file and, and put the information in the file. The briefings were identical. But the net result was one was for investigative purposes and one was purely for the intelligence briefing. Mm -hmm. And here's more Lindsey Graham. Uh, thank you very much. And again, to your team, thank you for the service you've done to the country here. Uh, the FBI, former FBI Director James Comey said this week that, that your report vindicates him. Is that a fair assessment of your report? Um, I, you know, I think the activities we found here don't vindicate anybody who touched this. Okay. Uh, uh, let's uh, run a clip here. This is what Comey said in 2018. It would be nice to have sound. Do we have sound? Okay. Never mind, I'll read it. <laughs> Director Comey, the reporter's asking him, can I ask you a question on FISA abuse? It's a major issue for the Republicans. Do you have a total confidence in the dossier when you used it to secure a surveillance warrant and also in the subsequent renewals? This was asked in December of 2018, about a year ago. Comey, I have total confidence that the FISA process was followed, that the entire case was handled in a thoughtful, responsible way by DOJ and the FBI. I think the nation, I, I, I think the notion that FISA was abused here is nonsense. Would it be fair to say that you take issue with that statement? Certainly our findings were that yeah. there were significant so problems. So when Comey FISA. speaks about FISA, you shouldn't listen. You should listen to Mr. Horowitz. He's not vindicated, and to be concerned about the FISA warrant process is not nonsense. Man. The way Democrats are trying their best to even avoid discussing what Horowitz had to say yesterday tells you everything you need to know about how bad it was for what happened during the Obama administration. Remember the scandal-free administration where nothing bad ever happened? It is Eric Harrison. I haven't sent out the sugar cookie recipe. I will be sending it out shortly. If you want it, there's still time. Text RECIPE to 33777. If you're already on the list, you don't have to. If you've never texted RECIPE to 33777, you got time before the sugar sugar recipe, sugar cookie recipe goes out. Um, it is there is an election today in the United Kingdom, and the polling has been interesting in that the Tories there, the Conservative Party, had a really big lead, and that lead has kind of gone down as as the Labour Party has surged, but they're still expected to win the conservatives are we just don't know how big their margin is going to be there is a, a suggestion of a hung parliament which could be interesting um it, brexit is the big issue there i, I gotta tell you i'm a little bit envious 
a little bit envious of the campaign coming to an end in the UK today. In Britain, a parliament can stay in, in and for five years and then has to have an election, or they can call an election early. Uh, they changed the law a few years ago where it used to be the prime minister could just call the election when the, his party was as high as they were in the polls, and it got changed where it happens every five years, and then you need a, a vote, uh, two-thirds vote to call one sooner than that. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if if Boris Johnson were to scrap that and their Supreme Court, which uh, a lot of a lot of newspapers across the board in Britain are complaining. They decided to get a Supreme Court in Great Britain. It was one of the Tony Blair reforms back in the day, and the Supreme Court in Britain is increasingly um, involved in political decisions, and there's a lot of hostility to it across the board. Even the BBC, the BBC, you know, is is taking on um, a lot of heat there. Now, I, I'm 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 getting to the point here. You'll have to forgive me. I'm just I'm fascinated by by Britain and British elections. I spent a lot of time there growing up as a kid. Um, but the you know we've got PBS in this country. I tell people all the time that that this, so what you're listening to right now, is the most listened to news talk program across the state of Georgia on commercial radio. People say, well, well there, there are programs on, on GPB. Well, GPB is a state-funded entity. Uh, on commercial radio, I, I'm your guy in Georgia, across the state. And uh, there's there's no other program like this across the state. And, and we're still trying to get further across the state. We're still trying to get into some markets. Uh, but PBS gets taxpayer dollars. I don't. I do this all on my own. Your local station that you're listening to sells advertising and uses that advertising to fund the station. We got to and we compete against a, a publicly subsidized program and publicly subsidized radio station uh, that doesn't have to uh, run ads because it can shake you down via the government. In Britain, though, there's an automatic shakedown. If you buy a television in Great Britain, you are forced to pay a license fee to the BBC. If you buy a TV in Great Britain, uh, the BBC gets money from the sale automatically and now the conservatives are threatening to get rid of that. It'll be interesting to see if they have a PBS-style fight there. Will they get accused of killing Big Bird? 